Okay, it's good to be with you again today, and uh, we have yet another packed event in terms of information and in terms of guests, and we need to focus deeply in order to get the most value of the time that we're going to spend together. The subject is a proven playbook for growing your leads, and uh, we're going to be doing something just a bit different today. I'm going to be co-presenting and interviewing and also just allowing a lot of time for Brian Carroll who directs uh, our lead generation research and efforts here with Marketing Experiments. Brian is the founder of InTouch, and he is the author of uh, probably the best-selling book in this category, I would think, uh, uh, around the world, and it's called Lead Generation for the Complex Cell. Brian will be with us at the B2B Summit in San Francisco uh, and in Boston, I think the sixth in Boston. But he's with us here today, and he's part of the Marketing Experiments Group, and we're going to be working together uh, very closely as we try to help you address some very critical questions. And uh, I think it would be good to get right underway. So I just would start by saying this. Our research shows that up to 80% of leads are squandered on a regular basis. And you can achieve major ROI gains in a short time by optimizing a few key aspects of your lead management process. Now, I want to warn you before we start, we're going to get right into case study, and then we're going to kind of, once we've shown you the results, we're going to drill down in great detail as it relates to those results and try to give you essentially five keys that you can take away and use to modify your own efforts. But I'm cognizant of a couple key points. First of all, we are in a very difficult economy, and uh, it doesn't promise or doesn't seem like it's going to get better very soon. And at the present moment, every company that is in our space needs to be very careful to maximize every opportunity that comes to the pipeline. Perhaps one of the most significant ways that we can secure our, our safety and secure our future for the people that we work with is to do a superb job of managing and even of maximizing our lead generation process. So it seemed important to me that we take this session and invest it with a lot of content. Some of this I'm certain you'll be familiar with, some of this you may not be. But as we work together along the way, we want to try very, very hard to help you gain a kind of uh, deep understanding in a very short period of time. I'm afraid that my colleague, uh, Brian Carroll, will be challenged trying to cover this content thoroughly in the short time that we have. However, we're going to try and, and do so, and we're also going to make this available so that you can listen to the presentation and watch the slides later, and also you can get the written edition of the Marketing Experiments Journal, which will have all this content. I'm joined by a number of our scientists and staff people, and frankly, I'm just back from London where I was working there with the University of London and with my colleagues from Cambridge. This is... Uh, a very important session, and I'd like to begin by welcoming uh, Brian Carroll, uh, who is our special guest today. Brian. Uh, Hi there, Glenn. Thank you for having me today. And uh, I'm really grateful to be with all of you. And, uh, you know, as Flint said, we're going to try to cover a, a lot of content today, and I want to give you guys some tangible ideas based on real-world experience. And what I want to do is let's just talk about some of the top challenges that have been happening uh, with lead generation, and uh, this is uh, what um, 
our presentation is really built around is addressing this. And Flint, I believe you actually shared this slide uh, in May when you talked about uh, lead generation, and, and I popped on for a little bit. So what, what our research shows is marketers report their challenges include lead generation, lead nurturing, and keeping track of what happens with leads. And so um, these steps, these challenges really align closely with uh, what I'm going to be sharing with all of you in both the case study and also I'm going to give you a, a playbook you could take back to your companies and uh, adopt these processes. So. First, what we want to know is I'd like to know what you think, and I'd like to introduce a poll. Um, which of these steps are you currently in your lead management process? What's your top challenge? And uh, what I'd like everyone to do is just put what, what your top challenges are, and uh, we'll give a few moments to people put in their responses. Now, you should be able to use the polling feature in uh, the GoToMeeting Many of you have gotten used to using those in our other events. You can see there are five different categories, generating leads, qualifying leads, nurturing early stage leads, managing the handoff to sales, and closing the loop with sales. It's going to be quite fascinating to see what an audience of this size, a fairly substantial audience, tells us is the most important challenge. So shortly, we'll tell you that right now 41% of you voted. We want to get a higher, uh, we want to get a higher uh, group involved. If you're having difficult logging in an audio, I, you obviously can't hear me, so it's probably pointless to really tell you this. <laughs> but we, we sometimes fill up all available lines across a thousand. Uh, we, you know, there's, it becomes difficult uh, when so many people are trying to get in. It's, it's good to log in early to get a seat uh, if you can for these calls. All right, it's 65% voted. Come a little faster. We need your, we need your input. There we go. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So we have uh, a large majority of the audience who's voted. I'm going to close the poll and allow you to see the results. Great. So here we are, Brian. And uh, they're coming in right now. And uh, Brian, go, go on ahead, friend. Yes. Yeah, surprisingly, um, that supports what, what that study we just showed once again. Um, people are still looking to emphasize generating more leads and more names. And um, uh, the the other half of the audience, the respondents, uh, we could put 50-50. What I found is Flint talked about in a difficult economy. Um, the, the key challenge is, is that we're going to focus today not just on how to generate more leads, but how to optimize the ones you already have. And a, a lot of thought gets put into getting more names, but um, surprisingly our research shows, as Flint talked about, it, there, there isn't a defined process of what happens after someone hits the submit button and how do we convert that name, that relationship, into revenue. And so what I want to do is just introduce our case study. Brian, before we go there, yeah. I just would point out to those that are listening by audio only and cannot see the screen, here's the actual results of the poll. 48% of our audience said that generating leads, the first stage, was their number one challenge. The, the next two... And uh, by a much smaller percentage, 17% was qualifying leads and 17% was nurturing early stage leads. So then 5% had a problem with managing to hand off to sales and 14% closing the loop with sales. So by far, the largest problem indicated here is generating leads. With that in mind, I'm going to shift over to the case study and let Brian uh, go ahead and, and set this up for us. 
Well, what I wanted to do is just talk about um, we're going to look under the hood of, of a company. And generally, when you're looking at websites, that's a publicly available what you can see. But what I wanted to do is give you really an operational look at, at all the inner details of, of the challenges a company uh, was facing. And, and what I wanted to do is introduce this company. What they do is they simplify IT management of desktops and servers. They're a company that sells to IT people. Uh, 80 million in revenue. They've got a number of channel partners, salespeople, and, and marketers. But what I wanted to do is just introduce some of the uh, problems that this company faced. The the challenges that we talked to them about that they were looking to address is that they, uh, for three years, had been generating more activity. But when they really looked at the the results of what they were achieving, the amount of pipeline, the amount of revenue, wasn't going up. And in fact, it was staying static. And so the the problems that they identified were they were generating more activity, same results. Uh, they were feeling that the leads they were generating, for the most part, were going into uh, a black hole. And uh, after the marketing team generated the leads, handed it off to the field sales organization or channel partners, they really had no idea what was going on. And from what we could tell, there was less than a 2% lead-to-sale conversion rate. So. Uh, of all the leads we generated, fewer than 2% uh, converted into real revenue. And uh, they had to do that through a lot of manual process, and there was a lot of cumbersome research involved. And what we were also hearing is the sales team didn't close the loop in every lead, and as a, as a result, uh, they were generating a lot more activity, but they couldn't consistently measure ROI. And frankly, their CEO and their, their VP of sales really said, we don't know if we want to spend any more on marketing or lead generation because it's not making an impact on sales. So what I wanted to share with you is we looked at the, uh, the, the issues of what they were facing. These are some of the issues that we thought we'd need to address. And uh, those were the top-level surface issues. But uh, as we were looking to address the issues, I saw that there was a, a lack of consensus on what the word lead means anyway. So they were generating a lot more activity, but there wasn't agreement on um, what the word lead means, and that was a key issue that, that we saw. Leads weren't being qualified or prioritized in a uniform manner, so there was qualification happening um, here and there. It was mostly being done via other web forms, but uh, leads weren't being prioritized. Um, we also saw that early leads weren't nurtured, so in effect, all leads were going directly to the, to the field sales organization or channel partners, and that uh, near as we could tell, the sales team was not pursuing the majority of the leads. So that was a, a, a huge area of concern. As we looked, looked further, we saw there wasn't a clear handoff process, so when the marketing team uh, generated the lead, it, the sales team needed to know that a lead was generated, that they should do something, and there was no process there. And, and frankly, there was just a complete lack of accountability. There wasn't really a lot of processes in place. Um, they, they're a, a user of uh, a leading um, software tool, software as a surface, uh, service um, CRM, but uh, they were relying mostly on the CRM to give them the data, and simply put, the sales organization wasn't using it. So we focused on addressing these issues, and we started um, from the top of the list and worked our way down. And I just wanted to share with you uh, what were the results we got as a result of addressing them. The first step 
is we were able to start closing a loop on every sales-ready lead. Uh, the majority of early-stage leads now are being nurtured where before none, so that went from 0 to 60% of the leads that were normally being given to their sales team are now being nurtured. Uh, the other thing we did is we um, focused on sales pursuit, lead definition, and we, and we grew from 4% to 12% in terms of leads converting into sales opportunities, which means these were leads that actually went into their sales pipeline and sales forecast. Uh, so 200% more, 200 more opportunities now are in the sales pipeline. And the other thing that we did by modifying processes is we increased the number of sales-ready leads by over 375%, and uh, we achieved these results with any, without any significant budget increase. So what I want to do is explore the closed-loop lead management system and drill down into the five key steps that we focused on, our playbook, that yielded these results. Clint, did you want to uh, add anything? I do. Uh, Brian, you know, we have here because of all the research going on uh, about well, we have the largest library of case studies and experiments uh, in in the world in, in these in this area or in these areas uh, of optimization and we looked at various cases with Brian and early data as we planned this i particularly wanted to use this experiment because what i thought was it provided very significant concrete actionable steps that you ought to be able to take back and apply to your own site and so as as Brian goes forward, I was impressed not only with uh, the work they did and how the research unfolded, but with how universal the principles were as they would apply to many of us. And so I'm going to just let him work through these five pieces. And you may want to take notes. You will be able to get the journal issue later, but there are some things he's saying right now that are so critical, it might be vital for you to, to capture the critical points. Brian, I'll let you go forward, please. Thank you, Glenn. What I want to do is just give you an overview, really a close with lead management, so you can put things from the playbook into context. And uh, this is something, that, this is a concept we put together, and, and really what I want to draw your attention to is um, you first notice that there's a marketing pipeline. And uh, this is a really vital thing to understand because uh, I found very few companies actually have a marketing pipeline. And uh, the, the better and bigger your marketing pipeline becomes, it, it directly impacts your sales pipeline. And so as we drill down into the playbook, uh, I typically take my clients through this graphic to help them understand where the challenges and breakdowns are taking place, how they qualify inquiries, who do they nurture, sales-ready leads, the distribution and handoff process closed-loop feedback. So this playbook we're going to introduce now is going to be touching on all these. So let's go ahead and review the, the five steps we focused on. In the lead management playbook, the, the first step is we focus on being able to refine a universal lead definition of what is sales ready. And the vast majority of leads for this particular company, and I find this true for most marketing-generated leads, what we consider leads as marketers generally does not match up with what salespeople consider leads. And so that's the first step in our playbook. If you think of a manufacturing process, what words mean is critically important. And if everyone does not agree on what a word means, then you, from the very beginning of your process, everything else is going to be a mess. So this is where we focus first on getting alignment. Then qualifying leads based on that standard, which we now call a universal lead definition, and that universal lead definition, I use the word universal, because everyone needs to understand what it is. 
and it is actually a definition of what a lead is, hence universal lead definition. When you apply the universal lead definition of when is a lead ready to engage our salespeople, because the key struggle in an economy like we have today, or at any time, is salespeople struggle with having enough effective selling time. And so if we start giving salespeople only actionable leads, the consequence is what we need to do to, with the leads that aren't ready to speak to our salespeople. And that's where we adopt and develop nurturing early stage leads until sales ready. The fourth step is being able to define a process of how do we make sure it's just like anyone who watched the Olympics, we saw the two USA teams were favored to win. Guess what happened? They dropped the baton. And what happens when you drop the baton? You lose. And what we need to focus on is having an excellent process from marketing to sales. Even if you're in a small organization, it's still essential to have smooth transitions and then being able to close the loop via sales and marketing huddles. So these five steps are the foundation of our closed loop lead management system. And what I want to do with the remainder of our time is start breaking down each of these steps so that you can implement them in a tangible way. Let's focus on step one, which is refining the universal lead definition. What I wanted to do is have you take a look at this model, which is uh, should be coming up on your screens. I want to share with you the spectrum of sales lead definition. I think it's really helpful because it shows how leads develop over time. So early stage leads do mature into qualified leads. It's just that most salespeople need to focus on level three or higher. When I talk to salespeople, they need to focus on people who have a business need and are planning to do something about it. But what I find most of the time we're giving them are level one leads, which is just someone who has inquired their response from a campaign or someone who's taken some proactive step, but it doesn't mean they're ready to speak to a salesperson. So what we're going to focus on is when we nurture leads, we're going to be nurturing level two. But I want you to see the spectrum. It's really helpful, and this is something you take back and talk to your salespeople, say, at what point do you want to start receiving leads from us? And that's one of the tools we use to help develop sales-ready lead definition. I want to show you some research on when you develop a, a sales lead definition with the universal lead definition versus without. It's coming too, Brian. There's a delay between our transitions and when the world gets to see uh, this. Great. Uh, but uh, it's on the way, friend. You're doing well. Thank you. Well, the uh, I want to make sure everyone has a chance to look at the data. This is actually research marketing Sherpa has done. And uh, the point I want you to drive home, focus on the area of best practice marketing. What you really need to understand is higher standards on qualifying inquiries versus those that are actually leads that are sales ready. When you qualify inquiries to sales ready levels, it positively impacts conversion when you look at leads moving to sales pipeline and leads actually moving to sales. So generally, best practice companies send fewer, more highly qualified leads to their salespeople, and they realize a better return, better revenue, and better conversion rates. So what I want to briefly show you in, in this next slide is how we got there with this particular company. And uh, their whole lead definition wouldn't fit on the screen, 
But I wanted to drive home the point, each of you is going to have a different universal lead definition. And um, in, the, in the slide after this, there's actually going to be a link after this presentation you can go, and there's an agenda you can follow to go back and help create a universal lead definition on your own. But, but can I say this to uh, Brian, if I could, for just a moment? Yeah. Some of you that are sending in great questions, we are going to be uh, pausing to answer questions a bit later, but feel free uh, to be preparing and, uh, and then answer those. And also, just an assurance for some of you that are smaller companies, the core of this process applies whether your company's large or small. And Brian may comment on that, but the steps are still the primary steps that you need to take, uh, even with a smaller company. Uh, Absolutely. I actually uh, have found that uh, individual entrepreneurs, um, someone I was just talking to yesterday, uh, a recruiter, he has used this process to develop his own pipeline of leads, and uh, he's actually become so successful that he's being interviewed on his process, and he's telling people to use the same approach to help build his individual business. What, what we need to realize is that as part of the whole process of moving someone from being an initial inquiry to developing a relationship to them eventually becoming a, a customer is that these processes and principles apply uh, regardless of size. And even if you're one person, you're going to need to think of these areas from a process standpoint. And if you adopt them, your, your organization will begin to grow. The point with this is that the organization of sales and marketing needed to answer this question. If we as a marketing organization are going to continue to generate leads for a sale, our sales team, for us to be 100% certain you're going to pursue a lead, what is the must-have information you need to know so we can be confident you're going to actually act on it? And so the universal lead definition or what sales-ready leads mean, that's the standard we set uh, for this organization and we set for all of our clients because, to me, uh, if we're going to generate relationships for people and they aren't ready for our salespeople, we need to do something with them. And so when you go back to your companies, I want to give you some tips on things. When I've interviewed hundreds of salespeople, they focus on. So let's get into how to get there. Uh, and what I found with the universal lead definition, the main value is it allows you to um, score and prioritize leads. It helps you to define the degree of sales readiness. And for it to work well, we have to have buy-in between people who are doing marketing and those who are doing selling. And even for yourself, you need to have a process of knowing, am I, in the, am I looking to uh, nurture the relationship with someone, or are they now ready to move further along in my process? And we'll be talking a little bit later in the playbook about lead nurturing. So generally, we find that uh, when I talk to salespeople, they tend to focus on, is this person the right role for me to buy from? Do they have an identified need? Are they looking for solutions or evaluating options? In effect, is there an active initiative in place? Are they planning to do something about that need? How soon are they planning to do it? Frankly, most salespeople are focused quarter to quarter. Am I going to make a sale this week, this month, this quarter? So time frame is essential. If it's something that's generally two quarters out and you have a complex sale, 
I find that most salespeople really need the help from marketing to nurture those leads. And then ultimately, budget. Can this company, are they the right type of company or organization that can ultimately buy from us? So those are the things we tend to find when I interview salespeople. Those are the main areas that they focus on. So for you to develop a, a how to precisely define a lead before you focus on doing more lead generation, there's a, a link there to my blog you can check out later. And uh, I just wanted to drive home the key points to this. It's really important. For some of you, this may be review. But if you, haven't, if you have a definition and you haven't reviewed it lately with your salespeople or you've added new salespeople, it's time to look at it again. So if you're trying to measure lead generation without a universal lead definition, you're not capitalizing on all your opportunities. And uh, what we found is the more qualification information you can provide to salespeople, the more you're going to be able to increase your sales pursuit rate. And as Flint talks about friction, there's inherent friction in the process when you're dealing with sales processes that are longer. And what's required is salespeople need more tools and resources to help them prioritize their time today. So what I want to do is let's move on to uh, step two. Flint, did you have any comments before we do that? Well, I think it's, it's critical for those of you that are deeply focused on lead generation. And if you're a typical marketing experiment subscriber, you may be one of those people who uh, have seen uh, so many of the presentations we've done in the past where we actually took a particular page and optimized it so that we got the highest possible response to lead generation. The problem is that in this economy, you've got to do more than get someone to complete the form. You've got to get them from the form uh, all the way through to the close. And so uh, you'll notice that today the focus is different. We're trying to help you optimize not so much the actual page of the lead generation process, but most importantly the process itself so that you can get the most revenue you know, per lead in your overall uh, marketing plan. And, and we're going to move swiftly. Again, there's a lot of content. We'll go to step two. Brian, you may want to explain the table that's up right now, but it's very important. Yes. Um, we're going to talk about the qualification process, and this is really essential. As Flint talks about the two dials, we have the, the quantity aspect, we have the quality aspect, and we're going to talk about the impact of focusing on the quality aspect as you're refining your leads with universal lead definition. What we were able to show is before having a universal lead definition, their lead to sales pipeline rate was 4%. That's what we were able to tell. But as a result of applying this process, by doing qualification and turning that dial and having a universal lead definition, in nine months' time, they're now seeing a lead opportunity rate of 12%, which is a, a relative difference of 200%. And so what you, what you need to understand is when you qualify leads against universal lead definition, you begin to overcome friction with the sales organization, and you help them focus their effort and energy in a more strategic way. And so as a result of doing this, this partner had a 200% higher lead opportunity conversion rate. And we're going to share this a little bit later. There's some more startling research, but... Uh, we're going to talk about how important lead opportunity rate is ultimately for us impacting ROI. But uh, let's let's talk about. Step Frank, can we do this? Can we yeah. just take a moment before we move to step two and yeah. take a few questions from the audience? I know we're yeah. trying to stay on schedule, but there's a lot of smart questions coming in. And I'm going to just 
field some at you right now. So go ahead and, and put your questions in from the audience. Uh, here's one from Robin Taylor who says, should, uh, she says, should nurture step be done by sales or by marketing? There's a, there's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> it is, uh, and, and I'll have a trap of an answer. I, I think it should be done by both. Now, here's, here's the reality. Salespeople all will say, I do nurture. The reality is, though, the amount of relationships that a salesperson can effectively nurture is far fewer. Um, they don't have the tools, and they also struggle with consistency. When their sales pipeline is up and they're um, moving opportunities through the proposal process, the amount of nurturing activity they're doing goes down, and it becomes a bit of a teeter-totter. And this is where I think marketing really needs to go beyond the lead, is that I think um, we as marketers, because we can apply consistency, we can apply measurable processes, and we can optimize those messages and really focus more on relevance, what's relevant to this target audience, and, and gather the appropriate profile data, I think that salespeople also struggle uh, with what to say if someone doesn't ultimately buy, and that's where marketers can help um, develop the valid business reasons, the nurturing messages, the relevant communication to help salespeople be more effective. So I think marketing should do more nurturing than salespeople, but salespeople absolutely have to nurture, and they also should be nurturing their existing customer relationships too. All right, so let's take another question very quickly. Uh, uh, Mitch seems to say, ask the question, how can micro-businesses incorporate this model? How does this work when you're a three-man a three business or a four-person team? Well, what I would say is, uh, first of all, you need to know when to engage and, and when to walk away. And, again, um, small companies with limited resources have the same struggles as big companies, which is how do I maximize my uh, time? to effectiveness and, and really ultimately increase my capacity, it really comes down to focus. And so uh, I know that small companies can apply these principles. You may uh, not need to create as much of a disciplined process in terms of tools to do it. A lot of this can be done more manually, um, and we've seen companies successfully implement these ideas using tools that come with Microsoft Office, like Excel, for example. So um, from a process standpoint, these principles are sound. When you get to the tools or application, I think it really comes down to, um, and I'd be glad to interact with you more one-on-one. -on -one. It could be situational. There may be more more questions behind that, but we, we see small as well as mid-size and large companies adopt these ideas. Brian, I don't want to overwhelm your inbox, but there's a lot of questions coming in, and will you mind if at the end of this, for questions we don't get to, we provide a way for people to contact you with questions? Absolutely. That, that would be fine, and I'll be able to get some help from our team here in responding as well, too, so that would be just fine. Okay. Uh, what we'll do, I'm going to take one more question to get right back into the presentation, but for those of you that don't get a question answered, I'm going to provide you at the end here with a way to reach Brian and ask questions directly because we want to help everybody we can. We're trying so hard. Bear with us as we try to manage the pace and the rhythm to help as many people as we possibly can. Uh, and some of these are good questions that, uh, for instance, and this is the last one I'm going to take and we're going to shift. How does opportunity rate relate to sales in numbers, Brian? That's from Carol. Opportunity rate is an important measurement because, in effect, um, in most companies, uh, it, you, a salesperson says, I've got an opportunity, um, and, and it's 
someone where they believe they can sell. Now, the challenge is so the first stages of the sales process, and we'll actually give you an example of what the sales and marketing processes look like when they're tied together um, that, that this partner follows, but that um, it's the clearest measurement. When I talk about uh, the, the handoff process, if you're a marketer generating leads for salespeople, the opportunity is when the sales rep says, I have ownership, I believe this is an opportunity I can sell, and I'm actively pursuing this relationship. It doesn't mean they've developed a proposal yet, but they believe that the proposal is going to be imminent. Excellent. All right, let's move on. So uh, we're going to take more questions later as we have time, but we're also going to have Brian help you with your questions. We're yep. on to the next part of the slide. Go ahead, Brian. Well, the principles of uh, uh, five. I'm sorry, Brian. Okay, good. Well, we're doing good with time, and I'm, I'm fine interspersing questions, you guys, and we're going to try to answer as many as we can live, and we'll be doing the others uh, offline as we can, too. So when you're qualifying leads against this universal lead, lead definition, here's some principles. Less is more when it comes to qualifying from a standard standpoint. I really encourage you, if you're doing a lot of different campaigns, if you're doing things online, and most of you who are on here are doing a lot online, but also I know a lot of you are doing things offline. And what I notice is companies that have both is they're keeping their data in different places. I encourage you, I strongly implore you to consolidate and centralize all those, all that inquiry information in one spot. I can't tell you how many marketers I've talked to that do trade zone events and it sits in an Excel spreadsheet they got, or when they do a, a direct mail response or they're doing a white paper offer through a third-party provider. All that data isn't getting into one place, and it's really important to do it. We found the gold standard of qualifying leads. Um, when you have a more complex sale that's uh, uh, above $5,000 or more, and some will say 25000 or more, but we found the gold standard of lead qualification is using the telephone. Um, certain target audiences, and we're testing this, uh, we found that you can actually do a lot of lead qualification via email or doing personal URLs, and those will be topics of future um, presentations and clinics, but that the phone is the gold standard to uh, qualify prospective leads because it yields the most qualitative data. And we find that there really needs to be a human touch when you talk to your sales team and get the questions they need answered. Most of the questions aren't able to be asked via a web form and, you, and have someone answer it. Generally, I find the types of questions salespeople tend to want to know are questions that aren't easily asked on a web form. Or if you do ask them, you're not going to have a very high response rate. The other piece when you're qualifying is you need to have a clean handoff process in every lead to move leads effectively through the process. And then after you hand things off, you want to measure, is the, our sales team, or are we actually doing things with them? Am I maximizing the value each lead we generate? So the key points here is leads qualified against universal lead definition do have a higher lead opportunity conversion rate. And when you're consolidating information, it's really the key to the next step of relationship building. And if you haven't consolidated that information of all your inquiries in one spot, what I find is happens is there's duplicates, which causes clumsy or redundant touches. And this is really a problem when you're trying to nurture people. Um, I find what happens is people first adopt lead nurturing, and they send more irrelevant emails more often. And what you don't realize, and what a lot of people we talk to don't realize, is that you can undercut your process, your programming people to delete your messages because they aren't necessarily relevant. So let's move to step three. 
nurturing liens. Now, when you're nurturing from a process, let's talk about what that is, and uh, let's let's talk about the results. But lead nurturing is about having a consistent and ongoing dialogue with viable potential customers, regardless of their timing to buy. And what I want to share with you, the impact of nurturing versus no nurturing on the sales-ready lead rate is we took their, their volume. Most of the leads had been touched one time. There was a response. They got an email uh, confirmation, and then it was immediately handed off to the sales rep. Most of the time, that was some type of form email that went out that wasn't optimized. And what we did is we started having multiple touches. So um, generally, it's taking three or more touches, we find, to convert people. In some cases, it's taking up to eight touches to convert someone to becoming a sales-ready lead. But by following that uh, ongoing message of holding leads back because we're qualifying by a standard and then having ongoing relevant touches using email and phone communication, we increased their monthly lead volume with the same number of inquiries by 375% from 16 to 76 per month. So holding leads back, what you need to understand is if you hold them back and you nurture them with relevant communication through multiple touches, you will see an increase in the number of sales-ready leads. And these are the results that have happened in eight months. That number seems to be continuing to hold constant, and we're also noticing the lead-to-opportunity ratio is continuing to trend up as well. Flint, did you want to add anything? Yeah, I do. I, I, I'm tempted to to, uh, to, get, to get on Teddy Roosevelt's bully pulpit here for just a moment. <laughs> one, one of the reasons that uh, this project was so successful is because underneath it is a set of values that impact the way we think about business in itself. Business is not just about targets. It's about people. And, and nurturing is not just about... Uh, sales, it's about relationships. And what makes this work is a genuine concern and actually engaging in building relationships and friendships or at least trust with those people who may one day become customers. And it requires a different mindset. And the customer can tell when the mindset is different. And I cannot emphasize enough, based on research across all that Brian's talking about and many other projects I'm engaged with and I'm studying, that part of the problem today in business is that we have somehow lost the understanding for the value of relationship and how that is impacted. This is about conversation and dialogue, and you can say or feel, well, that's just touchy-feely stuff, and I'm not into that, but I'm telling you, A, it's right, and B, it produces results. Absolutely. I I want to move on, but so many of us never think about nurturing leads because all we're thinking about is get me somebody interested and let me close them. And that that presupposes that you're just using everybody you possibly can to hit your numbers, and that is not the right approach to business. You need to invest in these relationships, and in the long run, you'll get the highest dividend. Uh, Brian, I'm going to let you tell us how to do that, but I just think it's important to emphasize. It is. I I really appreciate that, and and I agree 100%. Well, the process we followed, how we got there from a lead nurturing perspective, and uh, we we could spend a number of web clinics just in this one subject around relationship building. But as I said before, relevant, consistent dialogue with viable potential customers, and we're doing it regardless of their time to buy. Too many times messages are happening where every time someone – feels they're hearing from you, it's as if you're asking them, are they ready to buy yet? 
And what we do is we, we completely change that strategy and our focus is being a relevant resource and actually positioning this partner as a trusted advisor. So what we did is we devised who we're going to nurture and we focused on level two leads, which are those companies that are, are a fit. We know that it's not a question of if they could buy. In our minds, it's more of a question of when. And so what we're trying to do is nurture relationships with people, but we're trying to nurture the right people in the right companies. And it's not about building the biggest database possible. It's about building the most relevant database possible. And as Flint talked about, um, doing trustworthy communication. And we do that by filtering and organizing the right content, developing messages that are able to be helpful and resourceful. And um, we also put together a series of tactics, and there's really uh, four different tactics you can apply to do nurturing, and I'm going to share those with you momentarily. And then we're doing monthly touches uh, to these early-stage leads. So what I want to sh uh, show you is uh, how you should be thinking of nurturing organizations and not people. So realize that um, some of you are not just selling to individuals small and medium-sized businesses, you may be selling to big companies. So you're trying to nurture multiple business units or multiple contacts. And most of us have who are selling business to business. There's more than one buyer or influencer in, in part of the process. So the, the key here is realize there's multiple people and you're trying to nurture organizations, the right people in the right companies. And from a tool and approach standpoint, what we focused on is we just started developing um, different lead nurturing tracks. We started by developing uh, one track, and uh, what we began doing is we started targeting the uh, director of IT and the IT manager as, as the key constituents that we're looking to influence, and we plotted out on month one what that touch would be. What would be the most relevant touch based on this product interest? And then based on this webinar they attended, what would be the best follow-up article we could share with them that would add value? So every time they hear from us work or they download the white paper, they're going to hear based on uh, if it's a phone call, we want to find out what was the question they were trying to answer as a result of downloading that white paper and were they trying to get that question answered. Or if it was a webinar they attended, um, here's an article that's a follow-on story that we thought would be relevant to share with you. So th those are the approaches, but we're trying to look at building the most relevant database we can over time. And to do that, as I said earlier, you have to consolidate everything in one spot to manage those interactions. So what I want to do is I want to um, move to multimodal lead nurturing to help you see when I talk about tactics, what does that mean? And uh, with uh, the multimodal nurturing, you're going to see a number of different branches. Uh, these are the main tactics, phone, email, direct mail, online, and events. And what we did for this partner is we plotted out for each of these different tactics the appropriate content that we would share using those. And the key points I really want to leave you with, and I know a lot of you would like to spend more time alone on that graphic, and that's why we're going to make this presentation available for you to see. Um, all this is going to be available to you. We just want to give you as much of, and as rich content as we can. Is that the key points I want to leave you with is, as Flint talked about, it all comes down to developing relationships with people. And that's really what lead nurturing is about. It's Positioning yourself as a resource, a go-to company, 
and you're maintaining a consistent dialogue with these viable potential customers, regardless of their timing to purchase. And what, what we hope to do more research on, but uh, the, there's already uh, anecdotal proof that shows this, is when we're a resource with someone before they're ready to buy, that we position ourselves to become the go-to company when they're ready. And this company is starting to see more inbound inquiries from people who say, I'm ready now for a quote. And when you nurture organizations, not just the people in those organizations, we're seeing more B2B selling. Uh, of course, it's happening at the corporate level, the business unit level, and the individual level, so that you're really trying to build uh, a whole map of multiple relationships, not just one. Uh, most business business sales have between three to 25 different influencers in the buying process. And so as you're nurturing, realize you're trying to nurture multiple contacts. Let's move on to step four. While we're going to step four, um, I want to do a couple of quick things with the audience, if I could, Brian, that will help. Sure. Okay? I'd like you to take just a moment, use your Q&A feature, and I'm going to ask you to just give me input for a moment. If you're an organization who is, say, under 50 employees and you're attending this right now and you're looking for help with a small business who's trying to implement what Brian's talking about, uh, would you let us know? Say, just tell us if you're 1 to 25, uh, if you're 25 to 50, or if you're over 50. And I'm going to count uh, this and get a sense because what we may need to do, Brian, is depending on how many smaller groups we have on here, is hold a special program just for them to right. assist them in thinking about how to implement this. Yeah, but, I think that's uh, perceptive. This, I, I just... We want to help everyone, and as you can see, there's a lot of rich content here. Uh, many of you, hopefully, you'll be at the B2B conference uh, in October. Uh, there's one in – you can go to Marketing Sherpa uh, to, to the site. There's one in uh, Boston, and there's one in San Francisco. Same conference, two coasts. Brian and I will both be there along with the scientist team from Marketing Experiments, and we can answer a lot of questions there also. But your response right now, and you're doing very good, helps me get a good sense of – of how big you are. Now, if you're a really large company, you may want to let us know that also, but the bottom line is we want to slant as much information to help you as much as possible. While you're voting, I'm going to keep us moving so we can help you as uh, with you know all along the way. So, Brian, I'm on to point four. Continue. Thank you. What I wanted to do with you guys, um, as I saw your responses, I saw 5% of you had really talked about uh, the, the handoff process for marketing to sales. And the, the, the key points I want to leave you with, I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time here, is one of the big, the most uh, important ideas is uh, in team sports, like football, for example, no team would succeed unless they had huddles between each play. And so as I've observed the best quarterbacks, I've actually found one of the things they do really well is they huddle well, and they're good at communicating what worked and what didn't work between every play. I want to leave you with that concept and idea when it comes to lead generation because it directly applies. The, I find that ROI is directly impacted from a lead generation perspective based on the frequency that the people doing marketing and the people doing selling are huddling up to talk about what's working and what isn't. And so um, you need to develop a process together. And so if I talk to someone and I find out they're huddling once a quarter, I can guarantee you that they're not successful with their lead generation efforts. That's not enough. Now, if I hear someone who's saying I'm huddling weekly, biweekly, 
then that's more acceptable. And what we started working with this client is we actually started huddling weekly and that moved to biweekly, and now we have systems supporting it. So the, the most important point when I find in confirming as a lead sales ready is salespeople want to know, does a person actually want to talk to them? So that is something you should confirm with everyone because it really that's the biggest question salespeople ask. Does this person want to speak to me or not? They don't. Salespeople don't want to be irrelevant. They want to add value. And so what we can do is help them by providing qualification information. And uh, as I said before, the handoff process, you need to agree on a process. And when you have that process in place, develop some type of service level agreement. How quickly are you going to act on every lead we give you as a sales organization? Is that 24 hours? Is that uh, what is what is that turnaround time? So let's quickly move into the process. And uh, what I want to just leave you with is uh, documenting the process. We can't spend time on this, but the most important thing is, is this shows the steps from marketing to sales. So you want, you're going to want to study this later. But what's important is moving from sales-ready lead to opportunity because that shows when the baton is being handed off and when the next stage the sales rep is running with it. If you're looking at other ways to collaborate and huddle with your team, there's a, a 35 different tips I've given on how to collaborate between marketing and sales and optimize these huddling, this huddling process that you can go check out later. Now we're going to focus on step five. And what, what I wanted to just leave you with is uh, when – actually, could you move back because this is a really important point. In the handoff process, lead opportunity rate is one of your most important metrics because it helps you understand how well your sales team accepts and pursues leads. And ultimately, it's going to tell you if your leads are actually going to help your sales team sell. Fundamentally, I believe the purpose of marketing in a B2B context is ultimately help the sales organization sell. And we as marketers need to look at are we contributing to sales pipeline or not. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and move to step five. Excellent. Excellent. So with step five, the, these huddles, as I talked about, once a month, um, some of the things I emphasize you should focus on is trying to get feedback on each sales-ready lead. If you're sending hundreds of unqualified leads versus dozens of sales-ready leads, that would be a problem. But when you focus on doing the, the first four steps of the playbook that we've emphasized today and you move into this process, you can start to be able to focus on what's happening with every lead. Are they being correctly qualified? Is further follow-up needed? The other thing is, is someone said, who should do nurturing, sales or marketing? Well, as I said before, I think marketing should, but if you're an individual salesperson, you're going to need to start thinking about nurturing on your own. And so you need to, everyone needs to look at when do we move the baton back and when they should move into our nurturing process. It's really important that you can also look at wins that can be celebrated, what's working, what's not. If you hear from a sales rep, this lead didn't work out, the follow-up question should be, well, what other qualification questions could we have asked? And that that would have helped us prevent this, this opportunity, uh, this, this lead getting through to you that didn't work. And you can take that closed-loop process and make refinements with lead definition. I find when someone first creates a lead definition, it's not unusual to see um, four to eight different iterations in a very short period of time because you need to test 
and I know that uh, a lot of you are very familiar with the concept of testing. It's an iterative process around lead definition. So as you close the loop, I just wanted to give you some ideas as to things you'd be able to do at, and when you unify the, the right people and, and right systems together is you're able to start focusing on, um, from an approach standpoint, actually knowing where every lead is in your process. So with this company and this partner, we're able to know the status of every single lead, how many have been lost, how many have been won, how many now are in the pipeline, how many have proceeded. And the key here is if you're adopting this playbook, you should absolutely know the stage of every uh, early relationship as well as late stage relationship in your process. We haven't found a way to shortcut it, and a lot of you will be tempted to buy software to try to create collaboration. Software supports collaboration. CRM software is there to support it. I've never seen it created. So I emphasize let's focus on the human touch of huddling together properly, focusing on the right things, doing it consistently, and over time you can begin to rely more on these automated tools. But I, I, I encourage you, if you're trying to look at software to do it for you, we've never seen anyone to date that's been able to successfully close the loop on every lead just using software alone without adopting these, these huddles. The other aspect that I want to emphasize here is when it comes to tracking reporting ROI, there's key performance indicators you really should be focusing on. Your lead opportunity rate, um, your lead to win rate or lead to sale rate, and uh, lead to proposal rate. I, I find that for, for a lot of salespeople and organizations, regardless of size, there's typically a quote process, there's a win process, and there's a point in time where you believe that you can actually sell that lead. And those would be the three metrics I'd focus on. And as you're looking at the dials, um, the, these are numbers you should be able to know at any point in time. So let's uh, move into talking about what what can we do in terms of key points. Flint, did you want to add anything to Well, uh, I think we need to get, uh, because of our time, I, we've yep. got one last uh, slide. Uh, let's shift through that and move right into putting it all together. This will kind of okay. tighten everything up for everyone. Uh, you're doing perfect, Brian. I, I, I don't know how you've packed all this into such a short period of time. It's really good. Keep going. Thank you, Flint. Well, as as you're getting feedback and leads from salespeople, you, as I said, we have to make sure our salespeople are acting on the leads. And you can only do ROI tracking if you have a clear definition of lead. Otherwise, you're going to just get skewed numbers. So as Flint said, let's just talk about the impact of what's happened by implementing this playbook. This particular company has an average sale of $100,000. Uh, their, their current cost per opportunity is $4,611. Their cost per sales-ready lead, these are leads that the sales team is working, and we have, uh, we've been tracking their pursuit rate. That's 665. They've seen 375% growth in sales-ready leads, 200% uh, growth in their lead-to-sale pipeline rate, and in eight months' time, they've built 4.9 million additional sales pipeline growth. Wow. So the, the key point to all this is if you can track your cost per opportunity, uh, I found that it's more valuable ROI indicator than cost per lead because it actually tracks viable sales opportunities, not leads that drive more activity. And if you're just measuring cost per lead, you guys, uh, and not cost per opportunity, you actually do not know, you will not know if your leads are actually helping you sell more. Excellent. 
Well, uh, let me just say this as, as, as we're drawing to a close. Number one, if uh, you would like, and I've seen the size of our audience, there's a pretty good mix between large and small companies. Uh, we typically have about 2,000 people registered for one of these events, and so it's a fairly large group that's involved here. If you would like us to do a special program just for small companies, would you just tell us that right now, number one, just vote quickly with the Q&A, let us know that. Number two, if you are finding, if, could you tell us if you found this helpful? You know, you're often looking at web pages with me as I'm working through optimization of, uh, you know, a particular communication piece. But this is another kind of optimization, and it's vital. And I'm, I, I've taken a risk today, really, with my audience by trying to invest in something a bit more complex. But if you found this uh, helpful or not, could you take just a moment and give us feedback? The other thing I would say is I'm not selling books, and I have no affiliate over there. But, you know, the, the only <laughs> The book is really good. You should get Brian's book, and you should come, if you can, to Boston, where we can see you personally. Our teams will be there. We'll be actually answering lots of questions and looking at people's lead generation pipelines, looking at their landing pages, and trying to optimize the processes here in uh, at the B2B event in Boston and San Francisco. You can go to Marketing Sherpa to see that. Uh, I'm looking at your feedback as it's coming in. I want to give you Brian Carroll's address. So if you've hung out uh, right now to the very end, Brian, what email address can I share with the audience? Well, here it is. Here it is. I'm sorry. Here it is. Brian Carroll, startwithalead.com. It's on the screen. If you didn't get your question answered, email Brian. I don't want to overwhelm him. Give him a little time to answer, but we'll do our very best to try and help you because we want to do all, all, all that we can to, just to help the audience uh, learn with us. So thank you again. We're going to be back again in 14 days. We've got a lot of new experiments taking place and fascinating things with paid search. Uh, developing some very interesting things taking place with organic search, also a, a new way to think about landing pages, an update to the conversion index, and I have agreed to uh, write a book on offer response optimization with the cognitive psychology that we're using in the optimization process. So much more we'll tell you about later. Thank you for uh, being with us yet again, and we are so grateful for your trust. Brian, superb job, and I look forward to... Uh, to thinking about all this together, and uh, we'll be back again. Thank you all. Tell a friend. We would really appreciate that. Good afternoon.